Nicola Moriarty's latest book, You Need to Know, centers on a family of three brothers, all writers, caught up in a traumatic Christmas Eve road smash. It's Nicola's way, perhaps, of having a bit of a laugh at herself because she's from a well-known Australian writing family and has two sisters, Leanne and Jackie, who are also best-selling authors. Welcome to the joys of binge reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Hi there, I'm your host, Jenny Wheeler, and in Binge Reading today, Nicola talks about learning to accept the rough with the smooth, finding her niche in edgy popular fiction, and how having two best-selling sisters has fostered her development as a writer. But before we get to Nicola, I've got exciting news to share. I've been posting these author interviews weekly since September 2017, and there are now currently 170 binge reading chats with terrific authors talking about their own books and what they like to recommend for others as well. From next month, though, June 1, we're expanding the show to give readers who love what we do a chance to subscribe to Binge Reading on Patreon in return for extra monthly bonus content and a wealth of other benefits. This won't affect the normal weekly podcast. That'll still be broadcast free for everyone. But joining Patreon gives you the chance to find even more great books you won't want to put down as well as get to know your favourite authors better, while at the same time giving our team the opportunity to create more fantastic content. For the cost of a cup of coffee a month, you'll get access to the Binge Reading Live community, where you can get tips for must-reads from other dedicated bookaholics, as well as seasonal updates by genre, top thrillers, top beach reads, and so forth, all exclusive to Patreon. To find out more about Binge Reading on Patreon, head over to the joysofbingereading.com homepage. We've got lots more there. But now, here's Nicola. Hello there, Nicola, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me. Look, it's really lovely. You're on your sixth book here with You Need to Know, and you've made contemporary drama with a happy ending a bit of a niche for yourself, and you've really gathered pace as you've been writing. I really admire the way that you've sort of kept on going at it after what was perhaps just a weeny bit of a knockback at the beginning. You've got international deals over these books, the range of books. You've got international deals, Amazon bestsellers, the fifth letter has been optioned for TV. So you're feeling vindicated, I hope, by that slightly shaky start where you got one rough review in The Age and took it very much to heart. (laughs) I guess I am feeling a bit vindicated. And I think more importantly, I've learnt now to not take reviews to heart and to accept that there's there's no way you're going to get everybody loving your books. So I've just gotten much better at taking the good with the bad. Yeah, that's good. Look, you live northwest of Sydney, and for some of our audience outside of Australia, we have quite a big audience outside of Australia, they may not realise that you are really part of an Australian family 
publishing dynasty because you've got sisters Leanne and Jacqueline who are also top-selling authors. This must have increased the challenge for you a little bit at the beginning. I think it's been better for me, actually, because I've got the um, the benefit of having my two sisters there for me to ask questions and get advice and, you know, guide me through what the industry is like. So, you know, yes, on the one hand, definitely there are reviews that will compare us directly. And again, that's something I've I've had to accept and get used to. But I think the good outweighs the bad. I feel very lucky to to have them as sisters. Yes. And in the order of publication, was Leanne the first one who got published? No, Jackie was first. Um, Jackie was first, yeah. Yeah. Jackie, then Leanne, then me and Jackie, uh, yeah, started with young adult books and Leanne will always say in her talks that it was Jackie who spurred her on. It was seeing her younger sister get published that made her think, hang on a sec, this was something we both always wanted to do and she's gone out and done it and she's the younger sister. So, yeah, it it, it really pushed her to Great. the leap. Look, you need to know centres around Jill her three sons and a traumatic road crash as they travel in convoy as a family for a Christmas break at their beach house. And I thought it was fascinating, given that little bit of background that we've just gone into, that you've made these three brothers in the story. All of them are writers in varying degrees of competition with each other. And it it will immediately invite some personal comparison from readers who read it, won't it? So you must have been prepared for that when you you know, we created this. Well, I was, you know, thinking about these characters and what their lives were and what careers they might have. And I started thinking, you know, it'd be nice to write somebody who is a writer because, you know, it's it's good to write what you know. And then I had this sudden idea, what if I made all three of them writers? And I figured it might be a bit of a tongue-in-cheek joke about the fact that it was three brothers as writers. And I also thought, okay, it might be a chance to, you know, write some parallels. But as it went along, they very quickly became their own people and very different to the three of us. It became a much bigger part of the story as well. So, yeah, it took off in its own way in the end. But, yes, I'm definitely um, expecting questions about it. Yes, it, it felt a weeny bit tongue-in-cheek, some of it. Darren is a very likeable character of the three brothers. He's probably, in a way, the most attractive. And he's also a good model for fatherhood. And I have heard you speak in another interview about the fact that there may be quite a lot of your own husband in the Darren character. So there's more personal parallels there, isn't there? Yeah, um, actually that's in in Pete is the one that is more along the lines of my relationship. Oh, sorry, yeah, I got that wrong, yeah. No, no, that's okay. Um, yeah, Darren I find as well a very likeable character as well. He's the single one, but yeah, Pete as a father, I definitely drew on some personal experiences here and there of what my marriage is like with my husband, which again, it's nice to sometimes put a bit of yourself into your writing. Yeah. And you are the mother of two girls who you describe as small but remarkably strong-willed. Yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, they're not as small anymore. Um, the eldest is almost 13. I, I probably should update my bio, but I guess they're still small to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Your books have been praised for their complex plotting, and yet I understand that you don't really start out with a detailed plot line beforehand. All you need need to know, or what you need to know, sorry, started with the idea of the accident, but you didn't really have an an idea at the beginning about how that accident came about. Is that right? Tell us a bit about the process. Yeah, I generally always just start with a vague idea of of what that main, what the big climax of the book is going to be, but I I never really know how it's all going to happen, how it's all going to work out afterwards. And I, I find that doing a lot of planning doesn't work for me because if I plan it all out, it usually changes anyway. So I prefer to just start writing and I find, you know, and sometimes I'll panic a bit and think, oh my goodness, I don't know what's happening. I should be planning, but I've learned that I just have to trust in my own process, which is to just keep writing. And usually it's while I'm writing that something will suddenly come about and I'll realise, oh, it, it should go this way or this should happen. And yeah, it just seems to work better for me that way. So I've gotten used to doing it that way now, I think. Yes, sort of flying by the seat of your pants a little bit. Yeah. Definitely. But it keeps it interesting for you as well, doesn't it? Yeah, that's true, actually. It does, you know, although also terrifying at times when the deadline's starting to loom and I'm worried that I'm not going to be able to pull it, pull it all together. But I do like the fact that it means the writing gets to surprise me sometimes. I'll be writing and you know something just seems to happen on its own and and that I I love that feeling feels really good yes yes you need to know also asks the question of how well do you know the people who are closest to you how well does a mother know her sons or a wife know her husband and that seems to be a theme of yours because the tagline for the fifth letter was how well do you know your friends <laughs> do you live in a world where you're struck by the feeling that sometimes you don't understand we we generally don't really know those closest to us yeah well i think it's got to be True for most people, I think everybody has either secrets, you know, not necessarily the big dramatic secrets, but I think everybody has parts of themselves that they keep hidden uh, from the world. And, you know, when I look just at my own either family or circle of friends and all the things that are going on in their lives that they, you know, will only tell their closest friends and then the the person that they present to the world I guess it just fascinates me because it means that anybody you meet and when it's just acquaintances and people you don't get to know well you have no idea what's going on beneath the surface so yeah I think it's it's more just a case of feeling that that's the case for everybody. And I guess we almost by mutual agreement probably with some sometimes with our family and first close friends we just agree to avoid certain subjects because they're too touchy or that you know the other person doesn't really like to have them mentioned that we kind of collaborate together sometimes don't we yeah absolutely I think that's that's very true you you know avoid things you do either purposely or, or not when needed so yeah it's it's very much like that 
I mean, one of your couples in terms of the issue of whether they're going to have children or not, that's the kind of touchy subject that they skirt around but find it difficult to actually really address up front, isn't isn't it? Yeah, and I think think that can be true as well in close relationships that sometimes, I guess maybe it's more if you don't want to know the answer, you'll you'll skirt Mm. around it. So, Mm. yeah. Mm. They've also got an edgy urban feel to them. They're certainly not in the sort of cosy mystery genre. And social media is very much a large part of people's lives. And in another of your books, Those Other Women, you use satire about an online rivalry between mums and non-mums. And it spills dangerously over into the real world. I wondered what prompted that and whether there were things you saw happening with your own peer group at the time that helped to prompt that story. Yeah, definitely discovering the world of of Facebook mums groups did prompt it a bit and kind of just seeing how when it comes to social media, the different um, opinions you can get and how harsh people can be and on the simplest of matters as well. You know, somebody might put up the most innocent post asking for advice about parenting and would get, you know, all sorts of, you know, abuse hurled at them because it just seems when it comes to social media, all of a sudden people say things that you would never say in real life. And so I think seeing that, and quite often I pulled back from those groups for that reason, because because I would get quite sensitive. I remember I put up a post once in a group when my daughter started primary school and I still had the youngest at daycare and we were just a bit hopeless with getting out of the house on time and we'd often run late. And there was a notice in the school newsletter about parents running late and, you know, how detrimental it was to the kids' school life. And I put up a post on this Facebook group, just kind of more asking for people to reassure me, saying how awful I felt and how this note in the school newsletter, it felt like it was directed at me. And just kind of wanting some support from other mums to say, it's okay, you're, you you know, you, you're doing a good enough job. And some people did, but what I also got was these people jumping on there saying, well, actually, I agree with the school and, you know, you don't know how disruptive it is when you drop off your child late. And I just remember feeling shocked at how harsh people could be. And so, yeah, I think definitely seeing that prompted me to write about that world in that book. And and once again, the thing of whether you decide to have children or don't have the luxury of even deciding you can't have children, you can see how that would raise some really passionate and, and perhaps even embittered rivalries amongst women if somebody's able to just pop out babies without any particular apparent issue and another person is not unable to have children. It's a breeding ground for upset and rivalry, isn't it? Yeah, and I think as well that was another thing when it came to those Facebook groups and I I think I remember looking at the group and realising that it was, you know, filled with all these local women but that there were women who were being left out because it was all, you know, the Hills mums or the, you know, Kellyville mums or, you know, all the different suburbs and districts around. They were all these mums groups online and I just remember having this sudden feeling of 
I know women who could use some of the information that's in this group isn't mum focused. You know, it's just things about, oh, you know, I discovered this great new restaurant. And I remember thinking, but I know women who could benefit from this information, but because they're not a mother, they're not being included. And I think that sparked the idea for non-mums groups. Mm, mm check uh, my dog was just barking I don't know whether that was coming over for you or if if it was okay no it, it hasn't come through don't worry it's I, fine yeah. what sort of dog is it Jack Russell Cross Cavalier <laughs> it sounds lovely sounds good <laughs> look earlier on you did write some romances before you found your way into this niche which has become what you really uh, enjoy and are good at you did a tragedy rom-com which actually it won a chick lick Best Debut Award, so you obviously did it pretty well, and you've other you've written other best-selling romance, but you've since concluded that romance isn't your thing, and I was just curious as to what led you to that conclusion. I think it maybe just didn't feel as natural for me. So the first one, the tragedy rom-com kind of style, that at least I think that one is closer to what I write now as far as at least it still had the drama and the suspense in it. But, yeah, after my first two books, I wrote a novella which was a full romance novella just to sort of give it a try and I think it just didn't feel natural for me. It didn't feel right considering it was only 30,000 words as opposed to my books that are normally 100,000 words. It was harder to write. You know, it was a a slog getting through those 30,000 words and it just kind of, yeah, didn't didn't feel like me. And whereas the books that I've written since feel more natural to me and and I like to write the kind of book that I like to read. So that's what I, I generally aim for. And so the books that I'm writing now are the kind of books that I'd, you know, same style or genre, I guess, as, as what I'd like to sit down and read. Yeah, yeah. But there was an occasion when both Leanne and you were on the top 10 list together at the same time. And I've seen a joke, it was quoted, I think, in a magazine or newspaper that you'd like to see a day when all three of you might make the list together. And that sparked the thought in me, do you share much career talk in in your family gatherings on family occasions or do you kind of leave that aside and, and just get on with the other sort of family chat that we all have? There's a bit of both actually. I think when we all get together there is definitely some book talk but and it, and I don't think it bothers our other sisters, both big readers. One sister, Katie, is excellent at picking up. Uh, you know, we like to give her the manuscript towards the end and say, all right, let us know if there's any mistakes in it because she's a very good proofreader. My other sister, Fiona, she's very honest with her opinion. So again, she's good to have as a reader because she's not the kind of sister who will tell you that it was good if she didn't enjoy it. She'll she'll be honest and I love that because it means that when she tells you something's good, you can you know that she means it. So it feels really good. And because they're both big readers as well, if we all sit and talk about writing, they're not left out. And as well as that, especially with Leanne having, you know, Hollywood connections now it means we're all interested we all want to hear the latest about that and you know 
ask her questions about, you know, when she went to, got to go on set of, so most recently Nine Perfect Strangers was being filmed up in Byron Bay. And so, you know, we all want to chat about that and find out what it was like when she went on set and who she met and and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, there's definitely industry talk when we get together. But, yeah, then it also turns to the normal family talk as well because between being six kids in the family, there's always plenty of other things to talk about too. So, yeah, so it's it's basically a bit of both. Sure. So I'm just trying to imagine that family with five bookish girls. Did you have a mum and dad that were really into books as well? Did you have a lot of books at home? Yeah, definitely a family that was all big on reading and stories. Dad was less into reading but more into storytelling. So he wasn't a writer but he liked to tell stories, make up stories, you know, big on tall tales, that kind of thing. Yes. And, yeah, they were very uh, encouraging of reading and writing and things like that. So, yeah, I guess you'd, you'd definitely call it a very a bookish household, yeah. Yeah. Look, turning away a little from the specific books, looking to your wider life, what did you do before you started writing fiction? And was there some sort of catalyst that made you decide to try your hand at fiction? I mean, you might have just looked at your two sisters and thought, I'll give that a go too. But how did that happen? Yeah, so I did pretty much a bit of everything before I finally settled as a writer, you know, worked in retail, in hospitality, marketing, advertising. I did door-to-door sales. I was a swimming teacher. Swimming teacher was at least the one that I, I did manage to do for a longer time after, you know, jumping from job to job for a long time. But I'd basically always loved writing. When I was really little, I definitely wanted to be a writer. You know, when I grew up, English was my favourite subject at school. When I was really little, actually, I I wanted to write and illustrate children's books was what I I thought I would do until I learnt that I wasn't very good at drawing. So that wasn't going to work out. And then I think you, you leave school and the idea of becoming a writer seemed, you know, like it seemed like the impossible path. I didn't really know how you would do that. So as I said, I just kind of set about jumping from job to job, never really finding the right thing for me. And then seeing first Jackie and then Leanne get published, I think made the idea of being a writer uh, seem more real and more possible. And when I did sit down to write my first book, I didn't sit down intending to write a book. I just sat down to write a short story thinking, you know, I haven't done any writing for a while. I miss it. You know, I had this idea in mind and I thought, I'll just write this short story. And when I finished it, I looked at it and went, this doesn't feel like the end, this feels like the start, this feels like what I've written isn't a short story, it feels like a first chapter. And so I just kind of slowly kept going with it, not at first not wanting to admit that what I was doing was writing a book because then there was the potential for failure. But yeah, along the way, eventually I did think, all right, I'm, I'm trying to write a novel here and I just kept going and going and it took about three years to write the first book because, you know, there was no deadline in place. I was still working and and doing other things. When I did finally finish, it was a very 
nice feeling of accomplishment, although also then a huge amount of fear that I wouldn't be able to do anything with it. Very happily, in the end, I was able to. Yes, that fear of rejection might have been a bit stronger having being in the family that you were in, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, there was because I gave it to Leanne and Jackie to read first and when, you know, when they read it and they, you know, said that they loved it and said nice things about it, I didn't believe them. I was thinking you're just being nice because you're my sisters and, you know, you're saying that because you have to say that. So it wasn't (laughs) until a literary agent read it and gave me good feedback that I started to have hope that, yeah, that I might, you know, might have something. (laughs) Yeah. Look, a perennial question I like to ask is, is there one thing you've done in your writing career more than any other that you would credit with getting you this far? Oh, that's, that's a good question. Around the same time as I was writing my first book, I enrolled in a uni degree because I, I never went to uni straight out of high school. I just wanted to get in straight into the workforce. And so around that point where I was thinking, you know, what do I really want to do with my life? I decided that I would enrol in uni and my plan was to become a high school teacher, a high school English teacher. And halfway through that degree was when I did finish that first book and found out I was getting a publishing deal. And I ended up changing my degree from the teaching to be a arts degree with a major in writing. And I think doing that really helped with my writing because it gave me the opportunity to try out all different kinds of writing that, you know, I wouldn't normally have tried my hand at, you know, different genres, doing nonfiction as well as fiction. And I think it really, it pushed me along and yeah, it gave me a, a good grounding and a good start then because, you know, the the scariest thing then after getting that first publishing deal was going, okay, now I've got to write another book and can I do it again? So, yeah. yeah, so I think doing that uni degree was a big help and, and having certain teachers along the way who, you know, same as in primary school and in high school, there's always, you know, been certain teachers that have stood out to me as the ones who really encouraged me. And so in primary school, there was a beautiful year five teacher who read one of my stories out to the class. And I just remember that feeling of pride. And in high school, I did three unit English and there was a teacher who, it was a very tiny class. It was only three of us. And there was a teacher who really encouraged us and was very passionate about English And then at university, had a tutor who, again, was encouraging, great feedback, just pushed me. Sorry, I've I've given you a really long answer to that question. It's lovely. It's going to uni, but I think actually I've come back to, yeah, certain teachers along the way. Yes. Well, that's lovely. Look, we are called the joys of binge reading and we do like to ask people about the things that they're reading at the moment and if they have been binge readers in the past or even if they find any time to binge read today. So turning to your taste, what do you like to read, particularly in fiction, and have you got a current series that you'd like to recommend at the moment? Yeah, okay, so I don't have a series at the moment that I'm reading, but I've been reading, so mostly I I like to read, you know, as I mentioned, the similar 
styles of books that I write is the kind of book that I like to read. What I'm reading right now is Sally Hepworth, The Good Sister. And prior to that, I just finished uh, The Serpent Skin by Erina Redden and The Silent Listener by Lynn. Um, and now I'm worried that I'm going to say her surname wrong. Yo, uh, um, you out, I think is how you, it's Y-E-O-A-R-T. Anyway, so those books all dark and suspenseful. But yeah, I do love nothing more than sitting down and just reading. And, you know, if I get the chance to just not put down a book all day, then I'll definitely binge it. But it's been a while since I've read an actual series of books. Yeah, I, I can't think of a series at the moment. Sorry. No, that's good. That's fine. We kind of focus a bit on series because when people discover an author, they often like to read their backlist. But of course, that can be backlist of standalones. It's really the author's work that they're enjoying. So, you know, that's great. Mm -hmm. Look, circling around because we are coming to the end of our time together. At this stage, if you were going to do it all over again, is there anything you'd change about how your writer career has progressed? I don't think I would. You know, when I look back at everything, even though there's definitely been bumps along the way and ups and downs, I suppose maybe I could go back and tell myself not to take those bad reviews to heart. But then again, maybe even that wouldn't be a good idea because it's all part of what's shaped me and I'm happy with where I've gotten so far. So I guess I wouldn't really want to change anything because it risks losing where I've landed. So like I've said, I've, you know, I've been okay with taking the bad with the good and I think it's all shaped me and and I'm happy with how it's gone. Yes. And I feel, yeah, I feel very lucky that I get to do the a job that I love. It's a lovely thing to be able to do. So yeah, at the moment I'm still enjoying the ride and and hoping that it doesn't end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The fifth letter, the one that's been, I think it has been optioned for filming. How far along is that in development? Has it has it got to a script stage yet or? Yeah, so that one has been very up and down. So originally it was optioned in America by Universal and they took it to NBC and NBC said they loved it and asked for a, a pilot script. A uh, script was written by a wonderful screenwriter over in America, which I loved, and they took it back to NBC, but sadly they didn't then green light it and it, it fell over there. And so it's just more recently been re-optioned over here in Australia now. And they have got, the last I've heard is that they had two wonderful female screenwriters on board and that's the the latest I've heard is that a few weeks back they were heading into a writer's room together so I'm crossing my fingers and and hoping that it it will make it but also aware that there's a lot that has to happen for these things to get made and lots of bumps along the way so I'm I'm hoping but yeah I'm trying not to get too excited because yeah because I know how hard it is for these things to get made. Yeah. Australia is has been making some very good TV so mm. you'd be in good hands wouldn't you? I think so yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look what's next for Nicola as a writer I'd say over the next 12 months what are you working on any new things that you've got in store? 
yes, I'm getting started on the next book now. I'm not very far into it yet, but I, I have the main premise. It opens at the moment with a woman lying on a lounge room floor and thinking to herself, being dead is not going to be ideal. And then thinking, well, there's not much I can do about it, but what I can do is use these last few minutes to figure out who murdered me. <laughs> oh, so, <laughs> so that's my opening at the moment. At this stage, I don't know exactly where it's going to go. I've got a few ideas. I've got characters of this story and, you know, I've got a husband and a school mum friend and a uni friend and a daughter and all these suspects. And this woman does have a long line of suspects because she's quite an abrasive person who has made a few enemies along the way. But yeah, that's pretty much as far as I've gotten. But yeah, I'm working on that one now. Sounds great. So at this stage, you don't know quite who's responsible either. There's a there's an array of possibilities. Yes, basically. Yeah. Right. Oh, how exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Look, do you enjoy hearing from your readers and where can they find you online? Absolutely. It's lovely hearing from readers. It makes my day when I get a message from somebody to you know, let me know if they've enjoyed reading one of my books. So I'm on Instagram um, as Nick Moriarty. I'm on Facebook. I've got an author page under Nicola Moriarty on there. I'm on Twitter. I think I've got my full name on Twitter. Yes. I think that's the main ones. Yeah. We'll put links to all of those in the show notes for this episode. So people will be able to go online and find them all in one place, plus links to the books that you've mentioned as well. So oh, lovely. they'll all be there in one place. Thanks. Well, look, that's fantastic, Nicola. It's been wonderful to talk and um, all the very best. This is about to launch, is it, this book? Uh, just come out here in Australia and it will be New Zealand as well just one week ago and about to launch in the UK. Lovely. Okay, well, all the very best with it. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, audio services at gmail.com or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone. As a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. 
As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.